You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, We've gotten good news during Pride Month before. The Supreme Court handed down their decision in Lawrence v. Texas in June of 2003. That decision legalized sodomy between consenting adults, including straight ones. Obergefell, that decision handed down in June of 2015, which legalized gay marriage. But Pat Robertson dying and Donald Trump getting indicted during Pride Month? It's not legalizing butt sex or gay marriage, but we'll take it. I don't have to explain who Trump is to my younger listeners. He's been traumatizing you for the last seven years. But younger listeners, listeners under 40, may have no idea who Pat Robertson was. But if you're over 40, Pat Robertson was a towering and terrifyingly powerful figure on the religious right. Founder of the Christian Broadcasting Network, creator and host of the 700 Club, a daily television program that was seeping hate and fear into people's living rooms decades before Fox News opened the floodgates, founder of the Christian Coalition, and briefly, in 1988, a scarily credible candidate for the Republican presidential nomination. Robertson raked in hundreds of millions of dollars, stoking fear and hatred of gays and lesbians in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. He celebrated the deaths of gay men from AIDS. He infamously said God is weeding his garden about AIDS when it was killing mostly young gay men in the 1980s. We were, I guess, weeds. And he would later blame the attacks of September 11th on gays and lesbians and feminists, claim God sent hurricanes and earthquakes to punish nations that tolerated homosexuality. With the hatred of gays and lesbians and bisexual people and trans people once again on the ascendant, I've had some younger friends ask me how we got through it. The worst of it, the 80s, AIDS, the Christian Coalition, the Moral Majority, Ronald Reagan. We fought back, we organized, we marched, we voted, we kept coming out, and we kept dancing and fucking and laughing. We laughed at the people who hated us. My first college boyfriend actually liked to watch Pat Robertson's 700 Club. Episodes were rebroadcast in the middle of the night in our college town on cable, and he would put it on after we got back from the one gay bar in our college town, Chester Street, in the hopes that Pat Robertson was ranting about the evils of homosexuality. And if Robertson was ranting about the evils of homosexuality, my boyfriend liked to kick back on the couch and have me blow him. I joined the 700 Club, promised a bunch of money I never sent. They sent me a gold 700 Club pin and a membership card. I still have the pin. I'm actually wearing it right now. Pat Robertson, like Jesse Helms and Jerry Falwell, to us, to me and my gay boyfriend in the 80s, they seemed like impossibly old bigots, dinosaurs. We were sure to outlive. We were young and gay, and they were old and awful, and we expected that the hatred they peddled would die with them. Didn't turn out that way. Jesse, Jerry, Pat have been replaced by Matt Walsh, Shia Rashik, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I imagine there are young people out there right now who look at Walsh and Rachik and Greene and see a collection of impossibly old bigots, dinosaurs you hope to outlive. And maybe this time the hate will die decades from now with them. But probably not we will probably always have to fight and laugh. 
The internet erupted when Robertson died. Try not to live your life in such a way that rest in hell and RIP Bozo both don't trend on Twitter seconds after your death is announced. Robertson was too old and too dead to learn that lesson when RIP Bozo trended after his death. And Walsh, Rashik, and Green, they won't learn it. There's too much money in not learning it. So we'll have to keep fighting and voting and marching and laughing. I want to zoom in on one crazy thing Robertson said. Out of all the crazy things Robertson said that were recirculated after his death, this one actually did make me mad. He used to do an advice segment on his show, and Robertson took a question from a viewer who was worried she might get HIV driving a man with AIDS to church. Robertson's co-host tried to talk sense to this woman, but Robertson wasn't having it. Well, you know, I I think you were doing a good thing by transporting this man. I have yeah. known many people with AIDS and have never felt fearful, mm-hmm. you know, of a scenario like this. I guess I think even if you'd had a car accident. You know I what mean, they do in uh, San Francisco, some of the gay community, they, they want to get people. So if they've got the stuff, they'll have a ring. You shake hands and the ring's got a little thing where you cut your finger. Really? Yeah, really. I mean, it's that kind of vicious stuff, which would be the equivalent of murder. Crazy, hateful, in his 80s, still bearing false witness against his gay neighbors, pure Pat Robertson. What I thought was most telling about that comment wasn't that he said it, Robertson was always telling lies about gay men, but when he said it. Not in 1981 at the start of the AIDS crisis, not in 1993 at the height of the dying, but in 2013, nearly a decade after effective treatments turned HIV from a death sentence into a chronic manageable illness, at least for people with access to the treatments. And not everybody has access. People are still getting infected and dying, particularly poor people and people of color. But I thought it was remarkable, and I'm remarking on it now, that Robertson said such a clearly insane thing so long, so many decades after the mass cultural panic about HIV-AIDS had passed. There he was, In his late 80s, still on TV, still obsessing about evil gay men coming to infect him somehow. My college boyfriend, who I blew during broadcasts at the 700 Club while wearing my 700 Club pin. He didn't get to outlive Pat Robertson or Jesse Helms or Jerry Falwell. He got HIV. He got sick. He died. But he spent the last years of his life raising money for AIDS education and treatment because he didn't want to spread HIV. He wanted to save people. And unlike Pat Robertson, a money-grubbing TV preacher who spread hate for decades, my college boyfriend actually did save people. Tommy was one of the most joyfully sex-obsessed people I've ever known. But Tommy didn't obsess about gay sex in his whole life as much as Pat Robertson could obsess about gay sex in a single episode of The 700 Club. There he was in 2013, still obsessing about gay men, somehow tricking straight men like him into touching us by luring them to San Francisco and then reaching out to shake their hands and then cutting their fingers open with our sharp, super secret gay infector rings. Not sure exactly how that's supposed to work. Even if you cut someone's finger, what then? How do you get the HIV in there? Did Pat think gay men with the stuff HIV could shoot HIV out of their fingers like Spider-Man shoots webs out of the palm of his hand? So, Pat Robertson, dead. 
Donald Trump's been indicted, Cracker Barrel has fallen, and a rager of a pride party at the White House is inspiring rage on the right. With half a month left to go, we have a lot of Pride 2023 highlights to savor. Meanwhile, over at The Gist, host Mike Pesca marked Pride Month by walking his listeners through some Pride 2023 lowlights, haters targeting Target, the Bud Light boycott, the Chick-fil-A boycott, to which we now have to add the Cracker Barrel boycott. Cracker Barrel has fallen. Haters are going to starve. And at the rear end, the intro to his June 2nd Pride segment, Mike brought up a piece of apparel that you're almost certain to see at least one guy in at Pride. Covers the legs. The rear end is exposed. What are those things called again? Want to make note, I did not say assless chaps. Why? Chaps, by definition, are assless. Want to make that clear? Always hearing references to the assless chaps. They're just chaps, people. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that Mike Pesca's household isn't assless. Everybody's got an ass, but it is chapless. I, on the other hand, live in a gay household, a chapful gay household. My husband owns and has worn, sometimes in public, several different pairs and leather, neoprene, and rubber. And I disagree with Mike. We disagree with Mike. You can call them assless chaps. You can and you should call them assless chaps. Because chaps, being assless, emphasize the ass. Assless chaps, while redundant, emphasizes the essential and definitional asslessness of chaps. Sorry, Mike, you're going to have to defer to the homos on this one. Chaps is prose. Assless chaps is poetry. Assless chaps sparks joy, particularly when my gay husband wears them and my gay boyfriend too. All right, coming up on the micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, all those cues, all those A's, and more, Dr. Marie Thuin joins me to talk about compersion. That's a word that means something to polyamorous people, sometimes confuses monogamous people, and has always kind of sort of annoyed me. Dr. Thuin helps me unpack my internalized polyphobia and takes listener questions on the Magnum that you can subscribe to now at savage.love. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, the very best tool for trimming your body hair. Go to meridiangrooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode of The Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am a butch, genderqueer person, assigned female at birth, proudly a pervert and a queer, kinky, public sex party scene member, and that's been a part of my life for a few years now. I volunteer at them. I make friends there. I, I fuck people, <laughs> no strings. Um, it's an important space for me. My partner is a cis hetero man, and we've been seeing each other for about a year now. He's a little older than me. He's pretty oriented towards like starting a family and committing very seriously to one another. I'm in my like mid twenties. He's in his like early thirties. You know, I've been open about 
how the queer sex party scene is important to me, like all through our time knowing each other. And particularly because on the surface, our relationship looks very straight passing and particularly the sex that we have uh, is more vanilla and straight looking. And so having this like these anonymous spaces with consent have sex that that really affirms my gender and, and ways that there isn't really space for in our relationship. Recently, he told me that he met a woman that he clicked with and he wants to see where it goes and says that this shouldn't be an issue since we have an open relationship. And to me, there's a big difference to the dynamic between like me continuing to have these community spaces and his desire all of a sudden to be open to dating other people. What should we do? Is the relationship doomed? So... It should be okay for you to fuck other people in the context of these sex parties where you feel that your gender is affirmed and your queerness is affirmed in a way it isn't affirmed in your kind of straight presenting opposite sexy heady relationship with this guy. But it shouldn't be okay for him to have kind of the same sort of cis heady sex he has with you with somebody else. This is a problem that sometimes comes up for queer people in relationships with cishet people, where the queer person, like, say, a bisexual person who's got a cishet partner, wants buy off and thinks it's different. They're doing something different when they go off and sleep with the same-sex partner, but they don't want to extend to their cishet partner the same freedom that they themselves enjoy. And I don't know how you rationalize that in the end. I don't know how you get away with that. If you're going to have sex with other people, it's really hard to argue that he shouldn't be allowed to have the kind of sex that he enjoys with other people, even if it's extremely similar, even if it's identical to the kind of sex that you two have with each other. (sighs) There are guys out there who are up for one-sided non-monogamous relationships where they are faithful and their partner is not, doesn't sound like he's ultimately going to be one of those guys. I think it's more threatening for you on some level to know that he's out there dating other women because what he wants ultimately and what he's told you that he might want with you is something kind of conventional, an opposite sex straight presenting to the world relationship with commitment and children. He could have that potentially with someone else, a less complicated version of that with somebody else, somebody other than you, somebody who doesn't want the queer sex party carve out that you want and are entitled to. And I think it's a perfectly legitimate thing for you to want. And I totally understand how that would affirm your sexuality, your gender identity, your queerness, and why that is so crucial and necessary for you. I can also understand why you would look at him dating other people and see a bit more threat to your relationship with him. I would ask you, I would encourage you to zoom out to 30,000 feet and make an assessment about whether or not you think, viewed from 30,000 feet, you two are right for each other for the long haul. Not saying you weren't right for each other for the last 12 months, a relationship doesn't have to last forever. As you well know, you sometimes have connections, relationships that only last however long you're at that party. A relationship doesn't have to last forever for it to have been good for both people in it, for it to have been a successful relationship. But what are your 
long-term goals versus his long-term goals. What would your ideal long-term committed nesting partner look like? And if you feel some sort of undertow, if kids and commitment and marriage are what he wants, but not what you want, maybe you were right for each other for the last year and change, but not right for each other for the next, you're only in your 20s, five plus decades and change. I'm not saying you have to end this relationship. I'm just saying that you have to look at this relationship and make a judgment call about this relationship from a place where you feel free if it's not working for you, if you two don't work for each other, to exit it and to own your feelings, your complicated, maybe contradictory feelings about what it means when you have sex with other people versus what it might mean for you when he has sex with other people. But there are things people get out of sex with other people that aren't just an affirmation of their queerness or their gender identity uh, or something from, uh, you know, partners outside a relationship that they can't get from the partner that they're in a relationship with. Even if he does pretty much the same sex things with somebody else that he does with you, he still gets variety, something you get at those sex parties too. He still gets the affirmation of feeling desirable by, you know, by a new partner, by someone whose job it isn't to desire him, which is also something you get at those sex parties. Right now, all you see him getting from a potential woman he's dating other than you are the things that you bring to the table. If you think about it for a second, though, you can see the things that he's getting in that other relationship, potentially, that you can't give him as a long-term potentially committed partner. And some of those things are the exact same things you're getting from your experiences with other people at those sex parties. And if you can view it that way, maybe you'll get more comfortable with the idea of this man. If you two become lifelong committed partners, if you have kids, sometimes having some of that cis heady kind of coded sex that he has with you with other women and other assigned female at birth persons too. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in with a question about a guy that I've been dating for a little over three years now. We got locked in together during the pandemic. We were uh, roommates, and uh, it really turned into something really beautiful. And, yeah, we stayed together all this time. We've moved away from where we were. And I, I just I feel like he's changed since I met him. And we've had some conversations, and... He gets really upset with me doing nude photography, which is something that I did before I met him that I feel like has been a big part of my life and my self-expression and really a big part of me like gaining my self-confidence and learning how to love my body. And just recently, we really had a, the first conversation where I was like, okay, I know you don't like this, but like, why? Like, tell me what it is. Say it out loud. And he said that he felt like it was disrespectful to him for me to take my clothes off in front of other people. And I just, I just thought he was more open-minded than that. I asked, like, is there any way we can compromise? Like, can I only do this with female photographers maybe? Or like, can you just have an open mind about this? And like, we can keep talking about it. And he was pretty firm on no i just i feel like it's not a big deal but this might be a deal breaker 
I just feel like it it bleeds into so many other areas in life about like control and feminism and things that I hold very dearly. Either he's changed, which is the charitable read, or he felt this way all along and never told you. You basically had to beat it out of him, how he really felt about this, why he really objected to this thing that you were doing before you met, this thing that helped you feel good about your body, at home in your body, feelings that he benefited from throughout the relationship because of your comfort with your body, like that benefits him as your sex partner. And if he was uncomfortable with that all along, the shitty thing to do was to enter into a relationship with you at all. Why would he do that? Maybe he did it so that one day it would be really hard for you to walk away from him and he could leverage the the history of your relationship, your intimacy, the way you've intertwined your lives at this point, three years in, leverage that against you to get his way, to get you to stop doing this thing that is very important to you. And so, yeah, charitable read, he changed. He feels differently now. He's grown uncomfortable with this. Uncharitable read, he was never comfortable with it. He was never honest with you until you forced him to be honest with you. In either case, the right thing to do is for you to end this relationship because I agree with you. I think it speaks to issues about control, um, male feelings of, you know, shitty misogynistic patriarchal male feelings of entitlement and ownership over their female partner's bodies. He didn't own your body before you two met. This is something that you were doing with your body for good and legitimate and healthy and empowering reasons. He benefited from it again. He benefited from you feeling good about your body. And now he's shaming you and saying your body is for him alone, for him alone to see. And yeah, that's bullshit. And I don't think you should put up with it for even an instant. And maybe you saying, okay, well, I guess we're done here then. We'll inspire him to get his ass into therapy and unpack this and get fine with it. But then if he tells you he got his ass into therapy and he's better about it now, you're really going to want to check his work. I think you're going to want to see the receipts for that therapy. You're going to want to make sure he actually went and he's not just going to lay in wait for another three years and, and spring this bullshit on you all over again when it may be even harder for you to walk away from this relationship. Because three years from now, three years of him pretending that he's okay with this, you may be married, you may have kids, it may be much harder to walk away. So if you have any suspicions that if he comes around that it's insincere, walk the fuck away now. This episode is brought to you by Dipsy. In honor of Pride Month, let's spotlight some of the queer stories you could be listening to right after you're done listening to the Savage Lovecast. In the historical smut category, you can hear the story of Charlotte and Willa getting it on at the Everly Estate with saucy British accents. Or back in the present day, you can hear about Alex and Ia's trip to the bathroom at the queer bar. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. Radically inclusive, Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. 
There are vanilla stories at Dipsy, kinky stories, threesomes, and tons more. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can find new favorite stories to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, erotic meditations, and sexy stories you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, and yes, spice up things with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you, dipsystories.com slash savage. Hey, Dan, Nancy, I'm a tech-savvy at-risk youth, 31-year-old gay male here, West Coast. I've been dating the same partner in a monogamous relationship for about three years now. About six months into our relationship, the sex slowed down due to him not communicating the pain he was having when we had sexual intercourse. Then a little over a year into our relationship, he began to feel insecure about my phone use and decided that he wanted to go through my phone. He found things that he thought were inappropriate and wouldn't listen to my explanation. And additionally, when the tables were turned, I also saw things that were inappropriate in his phone. I'd chosen to move on from them. Fast forward to last year, I was at my wit's end because things hadn't changed when it came to our, our amount of intimacy and additionally, the lack of trust that has continued to the point of it getting in the way of me making new friends. In 2022, I said I was done if things couldn't change. He then pleaded for us to stay together and I stuck around because I love him. So from spring of 2022 to now, we ended up moving in together, but the lack of trust continues, and it's to the point of me feeling frustrated and over the relationship because it doesn't feel great to have your character challenged at all times, and it's also extremely isolating. If I don't behave the way he believes is appropriate, I'm doing something that goes against our relationship. The most recent example that has me at the edge is I was working out of the gym, and a gem friend, usual face, asked me for my number, and I gave it to him. I shared with my partner that I received a number at the gym just because I wanted to be transparent and not have this be a thing. And my partner then asked, does he know that you're in a relationship? And I said, no, I'm going to share with him. I'm just looking to have a more organic conversation with them to let him know. So then the following day, he followed up to see if I disclosed that. And I said, no, I haven't yet because I didn't really get the chance to like properly talk to him today, but I'm going to. And with that, my partner has now been upset with me for five days about this. We've had multiple talks about the situation and it's at the point where he won't even speak to me any longer, even though I've shared my thought process and how I want to go about it, even though it differs from him. He's now saying, I wish I had a partner who was proud to be my partner. I wish my partner would just disclose that they have a boyfriend, regardless of the situation. And to me, it just feels like there's so much insecurity here, and I don't know what to do any longer with all things considered, the lack of intimacy, the lack of trust, me feeling so isolated, and ultimately, me feeling controlled. So just looking for some advice from an outsider. I just want to flag something for everybody else out there listening to your question. It wasn't working. Your partner is jealous. Your partner is insecure. The sex isn't great. And then you moved in with each other and everything that wasn't working continued to not work. 
Nothing about moving in with someone who's jealous, insecure, controlling, and also where the sex isn't great, and that's a problem. Lots of people in companionate relationships out there. I want to always acknowledge people in companionate, sexless, happy, functional, healthy relationships. They exist. But if it's a sexless or nearly sexless or not sexually clicking relationship and one or the other or both of you are miserable, moving in with each other is not gonna fix that. That is a sign that you should not move in with each other. Your partner's jealousy, the control issues, also a sign you should not move in with each other. And I'm I'm going to go out on, I think it's a pretty fat limb, but sometimes I'm wrong about that. I talk a lot about the zone of erotic autonomy. People have a right to a zone of erotic autonomy. You don't have a right to know what your partner is thinking about at all times when they're masturbating or the porn that they look at when they're having some alone time. And I actually think that a phone falls inside that zone of erotic autonomy. You don't have a right to demand to search through your partner's phone to find evidence of things that you think are dot, dot, dot inappropriate or that make you uncomfortable. Unless the point is making yourself uncomfortable so that you're constantly aggrieved, so that you're constantly in conflict with your partner or your partner is constantly on the back foot or constantly in the doghouse. And that's where you are. And that's clearly where your partner is most comfortable with you. Keeps you around to keep you in trouble. If you hadn't swapped phone numbers with that guy at the gym, it would have been something else. Exit this relationship. And on the off, off, off chance that your partner is also a listener, dude, jealous, insecure people, that thing that you you think that you're controlling for with the jealousy and insecurity is the thing that the jealousy and insecurity guarantees you. The thing the jealousy and the insecurity delivers to you is your partner leaving you for some peace, P-E-A-C-E, but also P-I-E-C-E, for some other peace who isn't such an aggravating monster. Everybody I know who's jealous or insecure winds up getting what they thought, you know, being a jealous and insecure partner was going to protect them from, which is left, left, because it's only so long someone can put up with a relationship that's a police state, a relationship where you're constantly in trouble, a relationship where every innocent and sometimes not so innocent interactions with other people, people will flirt, you will be in long-term relationships, people have crushes on other people. And if that is going to fill you with rage or despair or sadness, or you're going to point to that as a reason or a justification to have a five-day fucking fit, be single. Be single. You're not in good enough working order to be in a relationship. That's what the jealousy and insecurity is a sign of. Now, that all of us in long-term relationships don't sometimes experience jealousy and insecurity, but you know what I'm talking about, this degree of it. Not a sign that your partner is always doing something wrong, but a sign that you need to get your ass into therapy because you're going to sabotage with this bullshit. Again, I'm addressing the jealous partner here, not the caller. You're going to sabotage every relationship you're ever in with this bullshit. You're going to get left over and over and over again. And maybe that's what you want. Sometimes people would rather be right 
I was right. He left me just like I thought he would, then partnered. This show is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're setting up a business or getting a creative or political project off the ground, you will find an indispensable partner in Squarespace. They make it easy to put together a good-looking website, blog, or online store. They have everything you need. Domains, marketing tools, analytics, e-commerce, 24-7 support. They even have this logo-making tool that's fun to play with. They have great search engine optimization tools. So every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help raise your site higher on search results. Would you be able to do that? I don't know how to do that. Squarespace empowers millions of creative types and entrepreneurs by providing them with the tools they need to bring their smart ideas to life. You can put together video ads, launch online courses, put out a virtual tip jar. All the tools you need to monetize your website and reach your goals are there waiting for you. You'll create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo, so your messaging is consistent and effective. And what's more, everything you make with Squarespace translates perfectly to mobile. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hey, Dan. It's a 37-year-old queer person living in the upper Midwest. I'm calling with a BDSM and feminism question. I met this guy. We've gone on maybe three or four dates. We're talking about doing our first scene, like a DS scene. He um, had some ground rules laid out for me, which everything sounded great. Until we got to the part where he told me he wanted to start each scene out with an inspection, which is great. Like, I like doing my inspection postures and things like that. And uh, But he told me he would really enjoy it if part of the inspection would include examining how well I'd trimmed and removed my body hair. As a millennial feminist, I have spent so much time trying to get over my body hair hang up. Like I kind of came around. I like having hairy pits. Um, I'll still shave my legs and kind of like, you know, trim the pubes. But like, I just, I just, I feel cringy about removing all my body hair. I don't feel like this is something that should be a deal breaker, but I just, I just, I don't like the idea that he wants me to take off the pubes. It seems like very kind of rooted in misogyny and patriarchal bullshit. And not to mention kind of pedophilia-ish. I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, picture this. You already shave your legs. You already keep your pubes trimmed. You don't shave your armpits. All good. All fine. You can set that as a limit with this guy that you're interested in submitting to. And then when you show up for inspection and you disappoint him because you didn't shave the way he instructed you to shave, you get punished for the infraction in an erotic, consensual way. Does that not sound exciting? Sounds very exciting. (laughs) So there's literally not a problem here then. So long as... You know, if you're negotiating with somebody to do a DS scene or to enter into a DS relationship, you're allowed to have boundaries, you're allowed to have limits, you're allowed to declare things, uh, you know, hard limits. And then instead of engaging around that, like, 
it's a problem that you wanted that in the first place, you can engage around that as an opportunity to, you know, do some of the DS, dom-sub, punishment, reward, play that you're interested in this kind of sexual dynamic for in the first place. Perfect. That was one of my thoughts. So I'm glad that 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 we can just kind of flip the narrative on it a little bit. We did actually do our scene on Friday night since since my call. Oh, okay, we want the after action report. Then. <laughs> I did. I, en- I ended up I broke down and I just shaved it all off and surprised him. He was very pleased. And after at this point, after our scene, I will do whatever the hell he wants me to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're you're in a little bit of like subspace, you're excited, new relationship energy, new submissive relationship or DS relationship energy. Of course, when you say something like, I would do anything, we don't really mean that. If he asked you to like jump in, off a building, you would say no. If he asked you to do something unethical or immoral, you would say no. I want to jump back to something you said on your call, though, your question. You said that, you know, his desire for you to be shaved was patriarchal, that there was misogyny. Yeah, but it's a DS dynamic with a man and an assigned female birth person. The patriarchy and the misogyny playing with it, that's kind of built in there, as I'm sure you know. Like One of the things we get to explore in fantasy are our worst fears in a contained, controlled way where we've put them to the service of our own pleasure as opposed to our own oppression, and that's empowering. But the one thing you said that always like kind of makes my head explode when people talk about shaving genitals is that there's something pedophilic about it. There's something, it's pedophilia. I can tell the difference between a grown man's dick and an infant's dick, and it's not the pubic hair. As I'm sure you can tell the difference between an assigned female birth person who's an adult's genitalia and an infant assigned female birth, a girl's genitalia, right? It's not the pubic Mm -hmm. hair. There's a lot else going on. Yeah, you were definitely right. Yes. <laughs> totally different. I always feel like I have to say that. It just it just feels like a cheap shot at people who prefer neatly trimmed or shaved. It, 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 like it's some sort of trump card people play. We're like, oh, you're interested in children. Like, yeah, no, no. And I like pubic hair. I'm like old. I was born in 1964. Like everybody's shaving their pubic hair. That didn't happen until after I was well into my adult sexually active years. So I'm like fine with pubic hair. I'm also fine without. And when I'm with somebody who's shaved his pubes, I don't feel like I'm getting off subtly on it being a child's genitals because it it ain't. Oh, he did kind of bring up that point too because there's some other like degradation stuff that we do that obviously wouldn't translate into real life. So it totally makes sense. Through in fantasy, we Mm -hmm. can explore, we can play with taboo, transgression, including transgressing against our own ideas of who we are and who we present to the world as. Like you're a feminist, you're an empowered, assigned female at birth person, right? You reject the patriarchy. And one of the things you get to do in fantasy, one of the gifts you get to give yourself is blowing all that up, being allowing yourself in play to be the opposite. And I, the example I always use is like the out proud gay dude who marches for gay rights and wants to be called a faggot while he's sucking a dick. Like that's not those things aren't in contradiction. They're actually kind of self-reinforcing. There's a little bit of like yin-yang push-pull there. And in a culture that tells you to loathe yourself for a reason, figuring out how to make that self-loathing or that, you know, the feelings of inadequacy or the feeling of being lesser than a man, for instance, a assigned male at birth person, to make that something that is 
yours to pick up off the shelf, play with, derive pleasure from, and then return to the shelf. Again, I'm going to use the E word. That's empowering. Yeah, I suppose the last person I thought I'd find myself wanting to fuck was going to be a cis white man. So yeah, we're just going to go. We're just going to go all in on this one. Enjoy. That's what cis white men are there for. <laughs> they're there to be, you know, when they're not blowing up the world or being really toxic, they're there to enjoy. <laughs> right. And you know what? While you guys are enjoying each other sexually, he can't be out there blowing the world up or doing something terrible. And cis white men who are into BDSM, who are thoughtful about it, who center consent, these kinds of conversations, these kinds of negotiations, we should want there to be more cis guys like that guy in the world. Perfect. He's going to be happy to hear that. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope I hope it continues to be a good and positive relationship, good and positive experience for you both. Uh, and uh, try it next time. Show up without being shaved and all right, and see if you can't get a little bit of the punishment that you desire slash deserve oh. out of that interaction. Awesome. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, my new favorite tool for shaving down there. Meridian offers powerful trimmers that cut through even the coarsest hair, but their trimmers are gentle enough for your privates. You'll enjoy a comfortable shave below the belt with no nicks, cuts, or ingrowns. Meridian trimmers are for men, they're for women, they're for non-binary folks, and they're for any style, whether you prefer completely bare, neatly trimmed scruff, or a well-rounded bush. This high-quality waterproof trimmer is fitted with a 6,000 RPM motor, safe ceramic blades, and an anti-nick shaving guard. And Meridian has so many happy customers, over 1,000 five-star reviews online. With the Meridian trimmer, you can get your body hair looking just how you like it and feel good and sexy with your fuzz. Get a Meridian trimmer today for the ultimate trimming experience without the pain, discomfort, or awkwardness. Order now and take control of your grooming routine on your own terms. Listeners of the Savage Lovecast get an extra 15% off your order using the coupon code SAVAGE. Go to M-E-R-I-D-I-A-N grooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. You deserve a better and safer below-the-belt trimming experience and with Meridian Trimmer, you can get one today. Hi, Dan. I'm a 49, almost 50-year-old cis male, bisexual, polyamorous. And I have a simple question about age. Should I put my age on my dating profiles on Grindr and Scruff and the like? Uh, and also, related to that, should I tell people my age when they ask in a flirty situation? I'm asking this because I've had happen already like a few times at nightclubs. You know, I'm flirting with a man or a woman and eventually they will ask about my age. And so I just reply back. Usually I'm 49 or almost 50, depending. And a flirty situation turns into a strange match where I'm trying to convince the other person that I am actually my age. And they are telling me that that can't be possible. And then they start asking strange stuff about what's my secret. And but, but it's not sexy, you know. It 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 becomes a very annoying conversation, and all flirtiness vanishes. And I just it's 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 very it's very disappointing. And some people have told me that I do look a bit younger. Some people say three years younger. Some people say five. Some people say up to a decade. 
I really don't care about age. I'm very happy with how I look. I feel great. I don't discriminate others on age either. Uh, for me, it's, age is just uh, the year you were born in. But but also on when chatting with people online, also they will ask what my age is, and then I'll say, and most of the time they'll stop replying. I know that in general you might say, well, good riddance. You know, if people don't want to be with me because of my age, they're willing to reject me based on age. Well, that's a good thing to know in advance. But my feeling is that perhaps like, if people got to date me, go out with me a few times, have sex with me before knowing my age, then afterwards they wouldn't really mind me being 49 or 50 soon. So what should I do? If you're one of those 49-year-olds who's lucky enough to look 35 in bar light, and you go to the kind of clubs and nightclubs where people in their late teens, 20s, and early 30s go to pick up other people in their late teens, 20s, early 30s, you are always going to get this reaction from that crowd of 20-somethings when you tell them that you're 49. This comes up as often as it does, I think, in part because it doesn't sound... I'm, the inference here is that you generally date much younger or pursue much younger people. If you were disclosing your age, 49, almost 50, to people who were 45 to 55, you probably wouldn't get these reactions. But you're approaching, again, this is inference here, you're approaching people who are in their mid-20s, early 30s, who expect this person who's approached them in this venue or context where everybody is presumed to be not yet quite so close to 50, they're going to be surprised when you reveal your actual age. Doesn't sound like it's always a problem. Sure, you must get laid sometimes, but you're volunteering for this problem. Yeah, in that context, in that club context, people are going to assume you are not 50. And when they find out you are 50, I'm just going to round you up to 50, some of them are going to be surprised. And if you look great, if you look 35, if you look 40, that person commenting on that fact, they're paying you a compliment. You can change the subject. You can deflect. If that person seems no longer interested in you because you revealed your actual age, you can go talk to somebody else who does not yet know that you are 50 or when you disclose it, does not fucking care. And take it from me, I'm older than 50. Those people are out there. But yeah, you shouldn't be so butt-sore about this. And if you could project yourself back into your 20s, come on. You're 25 years old. Somebody's picking you up in a club. It's flattering, rose-tinted bar light. And then that person tells you they're 45, 49 years old. When you were 25, when you were 30, would you not have bumped on that, taken that into consideration, been a little surprised yourself? Probably. You were probably just as surprised or would have been just as surprised if the shoes were on the other feet. You are 50 now, rounding you up. Some people are not going to want to date you because of your age. That is fine. Some people are out there looking with all the casual sex they might be having. They want perhaps the casual sex they're having to possibly lead to something regular, committed, long-term. That's a lot of what people are looking for when they're out there in the clubs running around 
having quote unquote casual experiences. They want those casual experiences to be open to something potentially long-term. And when you're 50 for a 25 year old, you are not for most of them potential long-term and therefore not someone they would want to even have casual sex with. Sorry. It's just a fact. It's a a fact of the universe I live in too as somebody in his 50s as well. And so what do you do with that? Well, you take no for an answer from the people who the answer is no for whatever reason it's no and you don't argue with them about it, which is kind of what your call, your question is kind of arguing with people about this. And you focus your attentions and your dick on people who it isn't an issue for, I'm sure, That sometimes when you tell people how old you are, they're just as happy to crawl up on your face and your dick as they were before you told them how old you are. Focus on the people who want to fuck you. Don't obsess so much about being wronged by the people who don't want to fuck you because you haven't been wronged by the people who don't want to fuck you. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read a couple of comments left on last week's show at savage.love. JPW writes, my heart goes out to the caller whose friend is marrying an abusive man and is wondering whether to say something. With conspiracy theories drowning America, I've been having tough conversations. I've never once regretted telling someone a hard truth, if for no other reason than I don't have to walk around feeling like I should have done something more. On a lighter note, Althea writes, I listened to your recent podcast and your advice to penis havers to at least take a horse bath in the sink if they're hoping to get their dick sucked. Ask my boyfriend who laughed at me. Okay, got it. Not a horse bath, but I'm going to call it that from now on anyway. I'm assuming you asked your boyfriend to go take a whore's bath, which I'm hoping he did, even if he laughed about you calling it a horse bath. And I'm guessing whore's bath is problematic for some reason or all the reasons, so I'm going to call it a horse bath from now on too. Thank you, Althea. And finally, David writes, I've listened to a few recent podcasts where Dan wasn't sure who to reference as a male heartthrob. Channing Tatum and Ashton Kutcher no longer cut it, Dan. I propose Tom Holland and Timothy Chalamet for younger women, Jason Momoa for more adult women, and Pedro Pascal for nerdy women into daddy types. Thank you, David. I shall retire. Step up era, Channing Tatum. That 70s show era, Ashton Kutcher. And Thelma and Louise era, Brad Pitt in favor of Holland, Chalamet, Momoa, and Pascal. Thanks to everyone who left comments this week at savage.love on the podcast and the column. And thanks to everyone who posted to your social media accounts about the show this week, especially on Instagram. I saw a bunch. We really do appreciate it. And now, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. This is in response to your comments about Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and age gap relationships. And I think, unfortunately, you're doing the thing that you get upset when other people do, which is being overly dramatic and overly catastrophizing what detractors are going to say. I am totally fine with Robert De Niro having a 45-year-old girlfriend. They are both adults, both legally and mentally, And no one is going to call him a pedophile for that. The problem comes in when you have like a 30-year-old man and a 19-year-old girl or a 22-year-old guy whose frontal lobes are not fully formed, where the age gap is much bigger and the power dynamic is very different. And it feels much more, maybe not like pedophilia, but definitely like taking advantage of someone younger whose brain is not fully developed enough to realize why it's messed up. 
And if you can't see the difference between a 70-something and a 45-year-old and a 30-something and a 19-year-old, then I think you need to study brain science a little more. Hi, Dan. I'm calling regarding episode 868, the woman who was sexually assaulted by her husband's best friend and a couple of his friends, and then he videotaped, he, the husband, videotaped them having sex without her consent. I feel like he was videotaping that to send to this best friend. So I think he is a total, complete slime ball and acts one way with her, but is really what he seems to be with his other friends. DTMFA. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to episode 868, the person who struggled to maintain an erection while he was wearing a condom. I had a friend of mine who actually made this a thing with his girlfriend. They bought every condom that they could find, every single different variety, flavored, all the different things that they could do, and just tried them. They kind of went with this uh, sort of condom competition thing. So it actually really normalized and made fun the experience of trying different condoms and seeing which ones felt good. It just might be something that makes that feel a little bit easier for him. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or your comment. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. You can also call us and leave a message at 206-302-2064. And if you need something to do, something to distract you from the news, something to do with the new friends you made at the White House Pride Party, why not make a film for next year's Hump Film Festival? Hump, of course, is my amateur porn film festival that tours North America and now Europe. Hump films can be hardcore, softcore, live action, animated, kinky, even illustrate, gay, lesbian, bi, transgender, queer. Anything goes at Hump. Well, almost anything. No poop, no animals, no minors. There is no fee to submit your film to the Hump Film Festival, and a portion of every ticket sold is shared among the filmmakers whose movies make it into the festival. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit for all the info you need on getting your film in the Life Festival. Follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage. Follow me on Twitter, yes, still at fake Dan Savage, and now on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. Follow Dr. Marie Thuin on Twitter at Thuin underscore Marie. And you can learn more about her work and her research at whatiscompersion.com. The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Love Cast. Thank you for listening.